So 1 Peter chapter 2, where we have been the last couple of weeks, is understanding, first off, the reason that Peter wrote this letter. And I, and I keep coming back to this because, to me, if you lose sight of this, you lose sight to what this book is about. Peter is writing this to a group of people that has been dispersed. They're out there on their own. And he's writing this letter to them to encourage them. He's writing this letter to them to bring them peace and to help them understand the situation that they're in. Um, They're in a situation where they're experiencing day-to-day hostilities. They're, They're in a situation where they may not even understand why it is that Jesus died for them. And yet they're having to go through so many horrible things. You see, this scripture this morning and this particular passage in 1 Peter, I believe really speaks to the fact that God loves you and God seeks to change you, but that doesn't mean that God is going to change your circumstances. That's a hard pill to swallow, especially in the culture that we live in today, especially in a place to where everybody says that if if God loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. Or if God loved me, he wouldn't let me struggle in this way. If God loved me, he wouldn't let these kind of things happen to other people. But the reality is that God is not working to change your circumstances. He does care about your circumstances. You can lift your prayers up about your circumstances. He may alter your circumstances, but at the end of the day, God is trying to change you. God is trying to save you from the sinful world, not just the circumstances that you find yourself in. This particular scripture this morning, to me, goes to the heart of why the prosperity gospel is wrong. Now, if you don't know what the prosperity gospel is, if you turn on TV and you see a lot of it, but I hate to say if you listen to a lot of pulpits today, you hear a lot of pulpits preaching a prosperity gospel, talking about sowing into your life things so that God can reap things out of your life, sowing, sowing tithes so that God will bless you financially, sowing time so that God will give you more time. The reality is we don't have such a promise in Scripture. There's no way that I can tell you wholeheartedly that if you gave everything you had to the church that you're going to get that and more back. There's no way I can tell you that because it's not in the Scripture. It's just not there. I think I shared with you this lady. She's talking about Benny Hinn. And Benny Hinn, I'm kind of confused with some of his reports lately where he's criticized the prosperity gospel and he's kind of gone back and and went, went back on a couple of different things that he used to say. But I'll never forget, I was watching this special, and this lady was talking about Benny Hinn. And I may have shared this before if I have. I'm sorry. But she was talking about Benny Hinn, and she was saying in that past year, she had given him $14,000 to his ministry. And she said that, they said, really? She says, yeah. And they said, well, are you being blessed? And she says, well, yeah, like the other day, I didn't have any money. And I was struggling, trying to figure out how I was going to pay for my next meal. And I reached in my purse. And praise the Lord, I found $20 in my purse. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of her gift, but if she hadn't given it all to Benny Hinn, she probably would have $14,020 in her purse. I heard a preacher say one time, if you want to really focus on these televangelists, see if they're going to come when you call them for your funeral. For something that you love. See if you're going to be able to call them when they come in for somebody in your home that is sick. But this particular scripture this morning really speaks to that. So let's go ahead and begin reading in verse 18. It says, Now servants, of course, we just left the passage last week where it's talking about following the, the governing bodies, following those that are in authority over you. So begin in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but... 
to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Again, going back to the reason for 1 Peter. We have to understand who it is that he's writing this letter to. You know, we, we, we read the scriptures many times with American understanding, with, with, with a democ- democratic understanding. But when Peter is sending this letter out, you need to understand that some of the people that received this letter were in slavery. Now, they may have been in slavery that was not their choice, but they also may have been in slavery by choice, like a, a bonded servant, maybe paying off a debt or, 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 or paying off some sort of obligation. And so what he tells them in this particular passage is that your job, no matter where you are at, is to do good. Look, there's, take it verse at a time. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Look at this. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the what? Unjust. You see, what God is saying here is he wants them, in whatever situation they find themselves in, to act like Christ. You know, we, we want God to change our situation. We want God to change our circumstances. But the truthfulness is, is that we have no control ultimately where we're going to end up in life. We have a plan. I think we've all had a plan. I, can I just get a raise of hands of how many of you, your plan didn't quite work out the way you wanted it to? And it's okay if your spouse is here. They're not going to take it. You, you, that could be the part of your plan that worked together. Your plan worked? Well, I'm, I'm glad for you, Okay. Um, we have this idea of this is the perfect plan of God going in this direction and if we sin here it goes off in this other direction or if we mess up down the road it goes off in this other tangent direction and we have all these ideas of, of how things are supposed to be and, and, and we get logged into life and we get frustrated in life but here's the reality no matter where you are at God requires you or asks you to be faithful that's, that's all there is to it you're, you're, he's saying to be faithful. Think about what Peter is saying here. You've got a master. It means you've got somebody who has got you in bondage. Some of these guys are better than others is what he's saying. Some people treat you fairly. Some people treat you justly. Some people abuse you. Some people take advantage of you. And he says what your job in that situation is then is to make sure that for you, for you, you are living like Christ. You see, when God causes the scripture to think about the way that we act, he's not thinking we shouldn't act based on what's going on around us, which is easier said than done. Don't get me wrong. It's easier said than done. We are, we are social people. We're so, God's wired us to be social. People interact. If Tommy came in this morning and was mad and said something smart to me, it would be, he didn't do that, by the way, but it would take me a second to kind of work that out of my mind to where I could come up here and not worry about it. Um, I've, heard, I've, I've heard a lot of times the worst time, just for future reference, the worst time to let a preacher have it is right before they preach. Wait till the end of the church service when they've got their minds off of things. But, but, but if he were to come to me, it would take me a second. I'd have to filter that out because I've got to think how I should respond in that situation. It's easy to think how they should respond. Well, they say they're a Christian. They should act this way. They say they're a Christian. They should act that way. They say they love the Lord. They should act this way. But what we've got to be careful of is not changing the way we act based on the way that they act. Because the Bible calls us to something greater. Jesus calls us to something greater than responding to the tit and tat of the world. 
We are to be an example thinking of the fact that we suffer many times because we're seeking to be godlike in a godless world. So the first thing that I want you to understand is the gospel is not a prosperity gospel. Um, also, I want you to understand that God does not change our situation in as much, but he seeks to change us. And sometimes it happens when he changes us that he uses us to change the situation. That sometimes can happen. But what I believe Peter wants each one of us to understand, if he were speaking to us directly right now, would be this. No matter what situation you're in, no matter if you see yourself getting out of it or not, whether you're going to be in that situation from now until the day you die, your responsibility is to be Christ-like in that situation. You can't let the horizontal relationships of other people bypass the vertical responsibility you are to have to God. To love your wives as Christ loved the church. Um, I have met spouses of both husbands and wives. I'm going to pick on wives for just a moment. I have met spouses to where it's hard. Not me, I love my wife. But, but it's hard for the husband to love their wife as Christ loved the church because their wife makes them and everybody around them miserable. I've seen that, okay? But just because they're that kind of person doesn't mean that you're supposed to stop loving them as Christ loved the church. My goodness, what does Jesus do for us? He loves us and he's constantly doing what? Forgiving us. Because guess what? Even though we profess to be Christians, even though we may have walked the aisle, maybe we've gotten baptized and we've been faithful all these years, the truth is, at our, at our deepest level, we're still messed up. We're still sinful and need of forgiveness each and every day. So to think that we can't love our spouse because they wronged us when Jesus loves us even though we wrong him each and every day. Then, of course, you got the other side of that scripture where it says the wife is to respect and follow the leading of the husband. Well, the wife could easily say, well, guess what? I don't want to respect his leading. He's a jerk. I don't want to respect his leading. I've got more common sense than he does. Again, I would say in that context, in that situation, how can you do that and be consistent with scripture? We're going to talk more about that particular element next week when we get to chapter 3. But how can we realize that what we're going through, why we're going through it is God is trying to change us. Now, I do like what he says in this next scripture. For this is a gracious thing, verse 19. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So God recognizes that. God will reward that. God sees that. Okay, but look at verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? So what is he saying there? He said, you're blessed when you suffer for Christ. You're blessed when you're seeking to be faithful to Christ in the circumstances that you're in. But that blessing is not the same as if you make a dumb choice and you're getting the, the repercussions of that choice. Okay? It's almost like that time I spent in Coolidge, which I have tried my best after paying that ticket not to speed in Coolidge. I, t I think I've told you the whole story. Just needless to say, I don't want to do that again. Okay? I could have walked out of that situation and said, Lord's just, I tell you what, Lord's just going to bless me for going through this trial. Lord's just going to bless me for having to spend that money in my pocket. I hear people say this kind of mess all the time. Lord's going to bless me. Here's the thing is, you made the choice. That's the consequence of your choice, okay? Yeah, I mean, that, that's not the same thing, okay? It's just not people say, oh, I'm going to get a jewel of my crown for this. Why? You chose to do that. And you're getting the natural consequences of that sin. It's not the same. 
as if you were choosing to be holy and you're choosing to be righteous and you're choosing to be godly and you were persecuted for that. That's totally different than you choosing to do something dumb and sinful. And so Peter wants them to understand it's just because you're going through a hard time doesn't mean you're going to be you're, you're necessarily going to be recognized for that because sometimes you're going through a hard time because of stupid decisions. Okay? But now you can still be Christ-like in the way that you go through those stupid decisions. Does that make sense? I'm really trying to balance it out the best I can. I just know there's a lot of people, and I think Peter was trying to, to really speak to this, there's a lot of people that make a lot of dumb decisions, and the whole time they're saying, oh, God's testing me, God's testing me, and it's really just, no, you're making some really stupid, self-destructive decisions. Not trying to be funny, but it may be humorous. It's almost as if I had a heart attack. Hope that doesn't happen, but the truth is it could happen. And I have a heart attack, and when I sit there in the hospital, I say, the Lord's sending me through this trial for a reason. Well, that may be true. It could also be that I weigh over 400 pounds. Okay, do you follow my train of thought again? I've made choices that have led me to this situation. And yes, God can meet me in my bad choices and forgive me. God can restore me in my bad choices and forgive me. God can... Teach me through my bad choices and forgive me. But the one thing I'm not going to do is give me credit or try to take credit from him by saying, oh, you're, you're, you're telling me, you're putting me through, the blah, blah, blah. Because at some point, you are responsible for some of the choices that you make. Peter's just trying to nip that in the bud. We're talking about you are not worried about the situation around you. You're seeking to be faithful. But if you do good, let's keep going through there. And suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Okay, so, so the consequence of your sin is not the same as suffering for Jesus. But what we see here in this particular scripture is that when we suffer for Jesus, then we are like him in that he suffered. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a just God. But our God is one who saw our need, came to earth to die for us, to struggle for us, to be, put in, to be punished for us. And guess what? He expects for us to go through the same thing. We say it all the time. But if you've got a supervisor, I'd like to see my supervisor come and try to do my job. Don't do that. I'd like to see them come out of that office. They forgot what it's like to come do my job. We can't look at Jesus and say, you've never been like me. You can't look at Jesus and say, you've never gone through what I've been through. You can't look at Jesus and say, you don't know what it's like, these people that are talking about me. My goodness, they beat the tar out of Jesus. And yet he did not say one thing back to them. He put, they put him on the cross. And yet he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, if Jesus can go through that and he did nothing... My goodness, don't you think that we deserve a little bit of what we're going through? And the fact that he went through that for us gives us that example. He did nothing wrong. He didn't respond in the same way to them. And he knew that the ultimate judgment was to come. Let's follow through with the scripture. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He never lied. He never spoke a ill word. When he was reviled, verse 23, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He didn't respond. 
I love Facebook. Don't you love Facebook? I'm being facetious. Um, uh, if you know, if I'm sure everybody pretty much knows about Facebook. If you don't, um, it is the perfect place for people to display what's really in their heart. Um, people will act one way towards you, and nothing's happened to me this week. I'm just giving this as an example. But on Facebook, there'll be this total, total thing. And so this past week, I had this. I saw this person, you know, just kind of scrolls through these same people. And I saw this person, and they said, don't let my attitude offend you because you're the reason my attitude is what it is. Can I say that is one of the most ungodly ways of looking at your life? Jesus, even those that were beating him, if they had professed Christ in that moment, if they had said, I believe you are the Messiah, they would be in heaven today even after they finished beating him. The guys on the cross, you had the one guy on the cross who said this is the Messiah. And you had the other guy who was like, this guy isn't. Even if that guy had, had ridiculed Jesus up on the cross, had, had trusted him at the last minute, he would be in heaven with God today. And if Jesus can do that, then you can forgive those people that are wronging you in your life. If Jesus can do that, then you can look beyond the situation, as painful as it is, and ask the question, what does it mean for me to look like Jesus in my current circumstance? Because it's going to look different in every situation. Not all of us are going through the same thing. Some of us, everything's going great at work. Everything's fine. Everything's going great in our personal life. Everything is fine. Some of us got some small issues. Some of us have some big issues. At the end of the day, what Peter is saying here is what do you need to do to be more like Jesus in the situation that you're in? And we're going to finish in these last few verses, and I pray and hope that this really brings it to a head for us to understand it. Because Jesus... Himself, verse 24, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to what? Righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And for you, verse 25, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and do what? Live in righteousness. And this is the verse that really just sticks out to me. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, there are people who would differ with me on this. When this particular verse is generally spoken of, and another verse in Scripture where by his stripes we are healed, a lot of people look at that as physical healing. There's a whole group of people that look at that as physical healing. We'll argue you to death that it's physical healing. I don't believe this speaks to physical healing. I don't. If you look at Jesus in, um, in the Gospels and you see Jesus do miracles, what was the point of the miracles? The point of the miracles were that people would see who he actually was. He loved people and he, want, he wanted the blind to see because that's really a, a consequence of the fall. He wanted the lame to be able to walk again. He wanted the deaf to be able to hear. But what good is it having a physical abnormality repaired and then go to hell at the end? What this scripture speaks to 
is the fact that by his wounds, by Jesus's wounds, you have been healed of your sinful condition. You have been healed from your thoughts of adultery. You have been healed from your thoughts of gluttony. You have been healed from your lying tongue. You have been healed from your disrespect to authorities. You have been healed of every single sin that you ever committed, that you ever could have committed. And by that healing, one day you will stand before God finally, completely whole. You will finally be made right when you stand before God. And guess what? Who cares what your body looks like when you go to the grave? Because God has got you a new body prepared where you are going. I would much rather have my sins forgiven than have some sort of bypass to lose weight. I would so much rather have my sins forgiven than have a hair transplant so I have a big thick head of hair like Owen. Not Eric, but Owen, okay? It is more important that our sins are forgiven because if our sins are not forgiven, then when we die, we go to hell and nothing else matters. So I really, looking at this scripture, when he talks about my wounds being healed, I think of all those self-inflicted wounds that were caused by my sin. You know, we looked last week, I believe it was last week, where he talks about all these sins that are basically attacking our soul. They're almost like spiritual lesions. My, uh, I mean, I know, uh, you know, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law both uh, struggled with cancer, both lost their battle to cancer within the last three and a half to four years. And um, when they, one thing you love to hear when you went to, for a chemo visit was that the lesions are getting smaller or the lesions aren't there anymore. That if you don't want to know what a lesion is, it's basically a tear that's in whatever fabric of, of intestine or body that it is. And basically, it's, it's basically, in a sense, ripping apart, stopping the function, scarring whatever body part it's on. But I would rather have my spiritual lesions healed than my physical ailments healed. Because that's what really matters. And the last thing as we close, and we'll go to that last scripture that we read and we'll finish up chapter 2. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Not only has he healed you, but he's taken you home. You know, as we get older, and I know some of your socks are my age, so I mean, I, I know... Age is relative to who's saying it, who's looking at it. But as we get older, what I've noticed, and my, I've heard others attest to it, is our friends, our family, they seem to thin out the older we get. Those that we've been closest to are passing on. Um, the newer generation of family, don't, they don't mesh together as well. They don't like to get together. They like to do their own little thing. But coming to the end of life, wherever you're at in life, really, we're all heading in that direction. Not only does Jesus want to heal your wounds, but Jesus wants to bring you into a greater family. It is just a breath on this side, but an eternity on the other. God loves you. God wants the best for you. God may change your situation. He may not. God may heal that cancer. 
He may not. But at the end of the day, are you being Christ-like? Are you seeking after Jesus? Are you being like Jesus? And who knows? God might use you to change the people around you. These servants that were here in Scripture that had masters, a lot of this, if you look in other places in Scripture, he says, be like Christ, I'm paraphrasing, so that those that you serve may in fact come to know Christ by your example. Be like Jesus everywhere you are. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for the blessings of life. We thank you for uh, all the faces that are here this morning. And we just pray that if uh, someone needed to hear something from your word this morning, that they heard it. If they needed confirmation, they got it. If they needed rebuke, and they got it. Whatever they needed, God, we pray that they got it from your word today. God bless us in this time of invitation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.